morning. It's good to see you, dear ones, brothers, sisters, visitors. Glad you're with us online. Thank you. Praise the Lord that you're here. I'd like to start the service by directing our attention to Hebrews. There's a couple terrific verses in the Hebrews. Well, all of them are, obviously. But chapter 11 on faith specifically, and I'll read 12 verse 1 as well. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Skipping a few verses to verse 6, one that many of us know well. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Years ago, as I thought about this verse, it was kind of a, a strike to me thinking about how God has a way of pointing out different parts of verses to us at different parts in our life. And I often focus on the word faith in that verse, but as you talk or you read through it a little bit more, it talks about the fact that it's impossible, impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Dear ones, we must have faith if we're going to please God. There is no other way. And then skipping through all the way to chapter 12, as you read in chapter 11, those that displayed faith, those that were honored for it. 12 says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May God help us fix our eyes on Jesus this morning, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you bow your head now and let's pray and ask God to do that very thing. When we think of fixing our eyes, Father, we think of the fact of training them and having them set in place to be put where they belong. And when our eyes are fixed upon you, fixed upon Christ, the one that gave us our faith so that we can believe, the one that helps us to live by faith and not by sight, we are in the right place. And we pray, help us to be only in that place this morning and in, in our lives in general. Help us to look upward to the heavens this morning and worship you. Help us to set aside the things where our eyes would be on this earth that may worry us, that may cause us to stray, that may hurt us, that may plain and simple be evil. When our eyes are not on you as, as believers, we do what is wrong. So help us to do what is right this morning. Thank you so much, Lord. You are good. By faith, we believe in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together and sing. He is God alone.
God alone in word, how well do we practice that? That's in large part why we come to church, to encourage one another to practice that very thing, to live that very thing, that he is God alone. And it's where we need to fellowship and encourage one another, challenge one another, don't bow down before any other gods. We do that today. They may not be made of stone and wood, but maybe they're made of plastic and foam. May they're made of all kinds of other things, our time, our effort, our place before him. If he is God alone, we just sang it, may he help us to worship him. He is the only one ever, before, is, and forever will be worthy of our worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Resurrection power in Jesus' name. There is power in His name for the
Praise the Lord. Appreciate that. My daughters now will be singing that for the next several weeks. <laughs> I think they just stopped with that, but no, there's much worse things that they could be singing. Um, when we first moved here, if you haven't heard that song was sung, I think it was Steve, when Steve Douglas was here, he had that uh, song request, and so my daughters picked up on that, and for the next couple of months, that's all I heard. <laughs> Here we go again. My daughter reminded me. She, she pointed up at the screen and says, Look, Dad, we're going to sing it again. <laughs> oh, well. Anyways, we are so glad that you're here with us this morning. 
Uh, we want to welcome um, our online um, guests as well this morning. If you are with us here for the first time, we want to say a special welcome to you. We also want to encourage you to go back to the uh, connection corner there after the service. They'll be able to give you maybe some information about our church, answer questions you may have, uh, direct you to uh, a Sunday school following the uh, morning service here. I also want to remind you that there is a children's church um, during the normal um, preaching time. So uh, during our last song, there'll be a slide that'll come up there or right on one of the uh, song slides, there'll be an announcement to dismiss for junior church. So uh, if you'd like to send your children back for that, you may do so at that time. Um, we do have uh, a brief video this morning that we're gonna show and then I'm- The heedlessness of the people of Noah's day will be duplicated in time. And if this pandemic had been worse, probably. Are we living in the end times? There may have never been another time in history when end times prophecy has been more aligned with the culture and circumstances of the world than it is today. I believe there are 10 phenomena we are witnessing today that were recorded centuries ago in Bible prophecy. Seeing our circumstances in light of these prophecies should give us resolve, purpose, and hope. And help us answer the questions. What are we to do with the world around us? What hope do we have in times like these? And ultimately, where do we go from here? Are the public cries for shared... That's a little bit of a taste um, of what the guys will be doing in Man Up. So if that looked interesting to you as a, as a guy, we encourage you to come out to the men's Bible study, the Iron Shoppers Iron Bible study. That, is, that begins on Saturday, uh, January 28th. Um, there's more information in your bulletin concerning that, men. Um, but I do encourage you to come out to it. It's a great time. I've been out to it a number of times myself. And it's just a really good time for guys to connect around um, small group time and Bible studies. So men, avail yourself of that. Uh, at this time, I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come up and uh, have a word of prayer. Thank you, Pastor Eddie. Um, you ever been thankful someone has prayed for you? Of course, right? I want to encourage you to know that every Wednesday night, if you are unaware of this, you're newer to us, we get together for a prayer service on Wednesday night, and we take the time to pray for, for one another, for matters of the church, matters in our, our culture, community, etc. And uh, my family and I have often been recipients of your prayers, period, but often that has come on Wednesday night where there's a more concentrated time of prayer. Uh, one prayer and praise request that came in that we have been praying for on Wednesday nights, I got permission to share with you, it's from Julie Ayers, Julie Castle, and uh, I asked her if I could share this this morning, and she said yes. So she says to us, hey, praying friends, I wanted to pass along some praises and prayer requests. My praises are that this week I was able to feel cold in my feet, cold floor, cold therapist hands. Um, as those of us have been praying for her know, she has lost feeling to the, the lower part of her body a few weeks ago. Uh, kind of a scary thing for her, but we're praying for her. 
Also, as of yesterday, there are parts of my right leg that are now hypersensitive to touch as opposed to not feeling touch at all. So it seems to me like the nerves are beginning to wake up, praise God. I have been approved through the insurance through Monday here at the hospital. All of my team and myself realize that I am not ready to go home. Please pray that the insurance would be able to see this as well and would give me additional time here. Please continue to pray for my spinal cord to heal, my brain to begin sending messages to my lower extremities, and strength to be gained in all this process. I am completely overwhelmed by your love and support, Julie Castle. Praise the Lord for that. And again, you know, when we come together on Wednesday night, it's, it's worth the effort alone just because we are praying for people like Julie. We are praying, generally speaking, for those that are in our government, for kings and authorities, and authorities, the scripture says. But also toward the end, we get pretty specific. And this is a time where if you come and you need a time of prayer, great. But we're praying. The church needs to be praying. The church cannot give up on praying or we'll have a problem. We'll go down the wrong path. So may God help us, and you're heartily in, in invited to come on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock prayer service that lasts an hour. Let's stand together and pray this morning. Father, you are good. Thank you so much for your love, and we turn to you in prayer this morning. We thank you very much for our sister Julie, and we pray that you would please help her to heal uh, again, a, a scary thing for uh, a lady at her age to deal with. You're in control, and she knows that we're praying for her. So we just continue to pray, and may you bless her and heal her. She's not the only one. There are many others that we're praying for. But uh, help us, Lord, to pray in faith and not in doubt. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that our prayer moves you in amazing ways we can hardly comprehend. But we do it because you tell us to, and we are blessed by it. And, we, Lord, we see you answer time and time again. Thank you for that. May you bless us this morning, Father. May you bless the preaching of the word, both here and throughout our country, throughout the world. Give strength to those that may be suffering this morning. And finally, Lord, we recognize this Sunday as also recognize the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Thank you so much for the work that you have done last year and the things that we have seen overturned. But Father, it's a matter of the heart. And it's a matter of the church standing up and lovingly proclaiming what's right, or else we'll fall back to where we were before, where the devil wants us to be. Help us, Lord, to, to pray in faith and trust you and to protect lives in the womb. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be seated. Shepherd boy made him a king. So I'm gonna trust you and give you. 
a champion claiming your victory so give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den give me hope like Moses in the wilderness give me a heart like David Lord be my defense so I can face my giants with confidence I'm gonna sing and shout and shake the walls won't stop until I see them fall gonna stand up step out when you call Jesus Jesus gonna sing and shout and shake the walls won't stop until I see them fall gonna stand up step out when you call Jesus give me faith like Daniel I can face my giants with confidence. I'll face my giants with confidence. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you, kid. Good job this morning. Thanks for helping Lloyd Lincoln. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, praise the Lord for the confidence he gives us through Jesus Christ. Wonderful. Thanks for the encouragement. Let's stand and sing one more time. It's not I, but it's Christ through me. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. There's no more for heaven now to give. One, two. Gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and
we hold to this truth this morning. Please draw us close to thee as we consider the things that we are singing. Help us to shun sin and walk with you and trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing the first and last verse of this, please. One and three.
you'd like to take your Bibles, you can open them up to Mark chapter 2, which is where we'll be this morning. Some of you may be wondering where Pastor Don is this morning. He just wasn't feeling well last couple of days, so he asked me if I could step in and speak this morning, and I said I was happy to do that. Um, I'm sure he would appreciate your prayers, um, just that he gets feeling better shortly, which uh, he should, but uh, we just, just lift him up in prayer. Um, but Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning, so the sermon title is not going to match what we're going to speak on this morning if you're looking in your bulletins. Um, and unfortunately, I don't have a PowerPoint for you this morning, but uh, nonetheless, we are going to open God's Word together, and by God's grace, we are going to be fed from it. Let's uh, bow for a word of prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be able to look at your word. Lord, I pray that you would just fill our hearts with your truth. Lord, help our minds to be focused in such a way that we can uh, remove the distractions that would hinder us from receiving your word this, this morning and be able to just, again, focus our attention on you. Lord, I pray that you would remove the distraction of me as well, Lord, that I might be able to present your word accurately and that we might see Christ this morning. Lord, we thank you for just the time of worship that we had together, which has directed our hearts towards you. Thank you for all those who have participated in it and the work that they put into leading us um, before you and to your word this morning. And so, Lord, it is... With confidence, we, we come to you, and it is with prepared hearts that we do so. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do a work even in our lives as we open up your word and we receive your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you were maybe facing a challenge? Um, maybe you were um, having to make a decision? Um, some sort of situation in which you just had to exercise a great deal of faith. And by God's grace, by his enabling, you were able to exercise that faith in almost a supernatural sort of way. Now, we are to live our lives by faith, but there are times in our lives where we need to exercise or we feel as though we need to exercise maybe an extra dose of grace to get us through or extra dose of faith to get us through the challenges of life. And, and in those moments, if, if you've ever said, I, I, I don't know how I was able to trust God through this. It was by his grace I was able to do that. And we, we look back on that and we, maybe we, we prayed for something, whatever, whatever the challenge might be, whatever the need was or whatever, and we look back on that and, and whether God answered the prayer exactly the way that we wanted him to, we know that he answered the prayer in that we were able to exercise faith and exercising that faith in God, we benefited from it in our spiritual walk. We benefited from it in the peace that we were able to experience, the joy that was ours, even though by all human standards there shouldn't be joy. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you have just exercised that level of faith and you know it was just the grace of God that you were able to do that? It was not on your own strength, it was not on your own, you know, initiative. 
but it was God. I want to kind of talk about that this morning as it relates to a passage that you are no doubt very familiar with. I'm not seeking to bring necessarily new information or new light to the passage, but maybe just a helpful reminder of who our God is and what we can expect from him. So with that, I encourage you to follow along with me as we look at Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was there in the house. So obviously the he there is referring to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was in Capernaum, which is a, a popular place for him to be. Um, that is in northern part of Israel, uh, at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, and where he spent much of his time. Uh, he did visit Jerusalem, as we know, but he spent a lot of his time, a lot of his ministry, up in the area of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, and in Capernaum. So it's not unusual for Jesus to be here in Capernaum, in this region, and he is here, and he is in a house, and it is found out that he has, he's there, he's been there for a few days, it's found out he's there, and so we read in verse 2, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. This is the kind of church service that we would all love to have, right? It's so crowded that they're even outside the door trying to get in. We would love this church service, right? Um, every pastor would feel pretty good if that were to happen. But this is Jesus, right? And we're not. Uh, but this is, this, is a, this is a thing that happened oftentimes with Jesus. He was surrounded by the crowds. And they were busting down the door to get to him. And uh, there could have been various reasons why they were there, right? We know that not everybody who came to Jesus was coming to receive the word, they were coming sometimes, yes, to receive the word. Sometimes they were coming for healing. Sometimes that's all they were coming for is just simply a healing. And we know by God's grace, Jesus Christ exercised um, love towards even those who would not choose him and healing them. He exercised that grace knowing that no matter the healing that they received, they're still not going to receive him. And then there was those who came to him simply to trap him or to test him. There were a variety of reasons why people came to see Jesus. Um, and I think probably such was the case here. People are here, they're, they're, they're busting down the door to, to get in to see Jesus. And then in verse 3 it says, Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they... Could uh, or, or when they uh, when they could not come near because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. You know, as I read through some of these stories, I use what one pastor called my sanctified imagination. Right? I try to imagine. What was that like? Like, we get, we get this detail, like, they're carrying a paralytic, and their plan was to break through a roof. How did that conversation go? Right? Hey, guys, we can't get in. I got an idea. Let's break through the roof. 
Sounds good. Let's do it. Right? I mean, how did that conversation? Are you sure? Do we know this guy? Like, how's he going to feel about that? Are we going to fix the roof afterwards? Like, how did that conversation go? Right? And, and, and I'm often wondering about the paralytic. What was his thoughts? You're going to do what to me? Like, I trusted you to carry me from where I was to the house, but to lower me through a roof? Guys, yeah, let's, let's think about this, okay? Is everybody feeling strong enough to do this? You know, like, like no doubt they probably strapped him to this bed because, you know, one guy lets down a little bit faster than the other, and he's coming off that bed. Right? How'd that conversation go? I don't know. I would, I would love, and I'm just like, you know, really? Could you put that in there? That would have been an interesting conversation. You know, maybe, maybe they were just all like, yeah, going home. No one was kind of hesitant about it. I don't know. Were they all type A personalities? I don't know. But I, again, I'd love to know how that conversation went, right? How, let's lower them down through the roof, guys. So we know that, obviously, the, uh, the roofs and were different back then. And getting onto the roofs would have been different many times. Houses back then, the roof was kind of a, an additional room. It was kind of like a deck. Right, and you can get to the decks oftentimes by an outside staircase, and I hope that was the case here. But they got onto the roof, right? They begin to remove pieces of the roof. Now, you talk about people who are going ready to go to extreme measures, right? I mean, they they could have approached the house, and they could have said, "Well, buddy, you know, we got you here, but there's no way we're getting you through this door." Like, the house is filled, people are surrounding the house, the door is crowded. Look, we can't get you in. I mean, we can't get in alone even if we weren't carrying you. We, we, I'm sorry, we're going to have to come back tomorrow. Let's see if he's here tomorrow. You know? Um, they didn't do that, right? This, this was like one of those moments where there's like, we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to do whatever it takes to see Jesus. That, that takes a level of faith, doesn't it? Like, to, to take... To go up on someone's roof, take the roof off, and lower this guy down. You know, they don't know how Jesus is going to respond to this. They don't know how the homeowner is going to respond to this. They had no idea. I mean, so, like, again, how did that conversation go? But this is, this is I believe, an exercise of faith, just to do that. Just to have confidence that we're willing to go to this extreme measure because we must, one, care about our paralytic friend here. And we must have confidence that Jesus can do something. And no doubt they probably had heard or maybe had even seen Jesus before. And maybe they had heard and seen the miracles that he had performed or heard about them at least. And they had this level of confidence that, hey, you know, Jesus is the kind of guy who, who's not going to turn us down. He's not going to reject us. He's, he's going to help us in some way. We don't know what that's going to look like. But we have confidence that something good can certainly come from this, right? So we read then in verse 5, then Jesus saw their faith. I love that it, next verse just says that. <laughs> when Jesus saw their faith, everybody else is seeing a man coming through a roof, Right? They're looking up going, what are these crazy guys doing? And Jesus doesn't see that so much. He sees their faith. That's a perspective that only God can have. Right? 
that he's looking and he knows the faith of everyone that is lowering that man and the man being lowered. He sees their faith. A different perspective than probably what everybody else in that room is thinking or seeing. And Jesus says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I titled this sermon, though you can't see, I've titled this sermon, um, Unexpected Kindness. And I see here that Jesus gives, first of all, what is unexpected. At least as I understand, this is probably what is unexpected. Jesus, first noticing the faith of the men that are lowering them and the faith of the one being lowered. And then he focuses his response, though, just on the paralytic man. He sees all of their faith, but he, the next thing that happens in verse 5 is he focuses attention on the man being lowered, right? And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus' response here, I believe, is based on this man's faith. Because that's the first thing he sees. He sees faith, and he responds then to that faith. Again, everybody else is seeing a different, probably a different picture. But Jesus sees the faith, and he's responding to this man based on his faith. And it's a very tender response. It, he, he says, son, is an affectionate term. Or son, or it could be translated child here. Being a man, son is appropriate. It's an affectionate term. It, it doesn't necessarily indicate age here. Okay? He's not saying this was a, a small child or even someone young. We don't know exactly the man's age here. Okay? It's just an affectionate term that Jesus is using towards this individual. And so he responds to the man's faith, and he gives a, a very tender response to the man, based, again, based on that faith. And the man be, meets, or Jesus meets the man's greater need. We're familiar with that. And he says, your sins are forgiven you. Again, maybe not the first response that people in the room are expecting. In fact, it's pretty much indicated that this is not the response that people in the room were hoping for, looking for. Um, probably not the first response, maybe that the men lowering him were expecting. The man on the bed maybe wasn't expecting this either. And again, we don't, we don't know why this man is in this condition. The text here doesn't tell us exactly why he's in this condition. Was he born this way? Was it something he's dealt with his whole life, this, this paralysis? Was it a result of an accident, um, negligence on somebody else's part, right? Somebody else's mistake, and there was an accident, and um, whether it was um, something that was preventable or not preventable, maybe somebody else's negligence, maybe just an accident, and it, it caused his paralysis. Was it due to this man's sin? Maybe uh, uh, something that he did that was just a dumb mistake, 
that he knew he shouldn't be doing and, and it caused his paralysis, right? Was he, did he get drunk and, and do something that causes? We don't know. We don't know what caused the paralysis. But a couple of different things that come to my mind as it relates to this, this statement, your, your sins are forgiven you. Now, the crowd is going to have a different response to this. But I'm trying to imagine what might have been going on in this man's mind. I don't know. Okay? I don't, I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend that this is in the text. Okay? Um, but, you know, when this man hears that, how did it affect him? How did that impact him? When that's the first thing he hears out of Jesus' mouth. You know, if he were, uh, again, living in this culture... Um, maybe he was thinking that um, I have received this punishment in my life, okay, whether it was his own fault or another's fault or just an accident, whatever, as some sort of punishment from God. Um, oftentimes that was kind of the thought of the day. If you had some sort of illness or some sort of disability, it was because you have not received the blessing of God, but rather maybe of sin in your life and disobedience or that sort, okay? So if, if he had that mindset, how would this have impacted him when he hears, son, your sins are forgiven you? How would that have impacted him? Thinking that he's just a sinner who's just hoping to get healing. How would it have impacted him if he knew that what he did, the, the reason he is paralyzed, is because of, he knows it's because of his direct disobedience to God. How would that statement impact him? Again, I don't know the man's circumstances. I'm you know, just kind of wondering, kind of using my sanctified imagination, going, I don't know what's going on here exactly, but I wonder. And when I just read those verses myself, son, your sins are forgiven you. What an impactful statement, regardless. To hear God say that, regardless of your situation, this is something that is, has great depth to it. It is something that is impactful, not for a moment, but for a lifetime, for eternity. You know, when I hear Jesus say that your sins are forgiven you, it directs me back to what was this man's faith? Did this man simply believe that Jesus was a good healer? Certainly Jesus healed those who did not have the sort of faith that this man had. Certainly he did that. But when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you, that indicates to me that his faith goes just a little bit deeper than merely Jesus is a good healer. Because if I believe today that Jesus is merely a good healer or was a good healer back then, that's not saving faith. That's not forgiving faith. If I thought that Jesus was simply a good teacher and what he taught was very good moral lessons, 
Well, that's not saving faith. I think that Jesus' statement indicates that this man had a much deeper faith than merely Jesus is a good teacher or a good healer, but that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was the Messiah. We're going to find that not everybody in the room had that same level of faith. And you know the story, and you know that. But this man, I believe, based on Jesus' statement, your sins are forgiven you, had a faith that went beyond just the physical need that he had. Now, again, I don't know that he was expecting Jesus to say that. Your sins are forgiven you. Can you imagine hearing the audible voice of God saying your sins are forgiven? What confidence. Right? What confidence to know my sins really are forgiven. You know, for, for years, I struggled with that. I struggled with that. I struggled because I, I, I knew the salvation message. And I, I prayed the prayer, you know, that, you know, God forgive me of my sins. I, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. You know, the whole nine yards. And yet, somewhere in my, deep in my heart, I still had this doubt because I knew I was a sinner. Now, I'm not suggesting that I wasn't saved. I believe that, you know, even after salvation, we sin. But I believe I was saved. But I struggled with that. I struggled with that. I, I, I knew what God's word said, and I knew what it taught. But I struggled with that. And so I prayed Several times, over and over and over, God, forgive me my sins. You know, I believe in Jesus Christ, died on the cross for me. Um, I want to spend eternity with you. And I would pray that over and over and over and over. And then at some point, finally, I kind of came to the realization I either need to believe it and believe that I believe it, right? Um, or I'm really not saved. Right? And I came to the conclusion that I really do believe it. You know, and I don't, and, and, and the great thing is we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Okay? That convicts us of sin, that helps clarify, I believe, in our own minds, our salvation. Okay? Um, a little bit different then. But, wow, how powerful to hear Jesus Christ say, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6 tells us, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies? like this who can forgive sins but god alone i want to suggest to you that's a good question and it's a question that needs to be answered and jesus is going to answer the question but it is a good question but it's only a good question so long as you receive the right answer see if you have the question but you don't believe the source that's going to give you the right answer question does you no good so here jesus is the right source to answer that question it's just a matter of whether or not they're going to choose to believe the answer and so these men rightly in their heart if jesus christ is not the son of god then they are right in saying that this is a blasphemous statement because who can forgive sins except for god alone the answer is no one the reality is, when someone sins against me, yes, I can forgive them for having offended me, but the reality at the same time is, I'm not the one who sets the standard of morality. I'm not the standard. 
And I don't get to set the standard. That is God and God alone who gets to do that. And so every offense, whether it is directed at an individual, a group of individuals, or it's just private sin, every sin is an offense to a holy and righteous God because he is the one who sets the standard for how we are to live. We are his creation. He gets to do that. So every offense is against him. So the reality is this sin, as we look at it, they understood, well, how in the world could Jesus even do this on a personal level? Because, number one, this man hasn't just offended Jesus personally in, in, just in this moment. So obviously this, this forgiveness of sins goes deeper than me just saying, I forgive you for calling me a dirty name. Right? It's suggesting something that only God can do. And they understood that. And they thought it was, of course, blasphemous. And indeed it would have been if Jesus wasn't who he was. But Jesus was. And so they asked a good question. And so Jesus is going to respond to that question. And he's going to do it in a very teachable moment. You see, I love how this, this whole thing sets up. First of all, you have the, the, the man who has faith, who comes for this physical healing. He receives a spiritual healing in his life. And now Jesus is going to take the events of this man's life, the situation that's happening right now, to use it in the lives of others as a teachable moment. And it's really cool how he does this. And only Jesus can do this because what he does next is something only Jesus can do. Only God can do. It says in verse 8, But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Now, now think about that for a minute. That's kind of like me coming up to you. I, I make this very bold statement and go, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> no, you don't. Right? This whole time you could have been ignoring me and thinking about puppy dogs. I have no idea. Right? And if you weren't thinking about puppy dogs, you are probably now. Right? And I love this about Jesus. It's kind of like, why are you reasoning like this in your heart? Oh, yeah, what am I thinking? And then he's going to tell him. It's like, oh. Right? It's like, oh, you, you kind of do know what I was thinking. And, and not only is he going to show his uh, omniscience, his all-knowing, but he's going to show his power and his authority. And there's going to be, or should be, no question about who Jesus is. So he makes this statement, why are you reasoning like this in your heart? Right? Um, in verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. So now while they're proposing a question in their mind, thinking that Jesus is making a blasphemous statement, and they're reasoning who can forgive sins but God alone, Jesus is going to present to them another question. Which is, it, which is easier, for me to tell this person his sins are forgiven, this man his sins are forgiven, or to tell him to rise, take up his bed, and walk? Oftentimes when I worked um, with some of the teenagers in Willingboro, basketball was everything. Right? Basketball, I mean, everybody just loved basketball, and I was amazed at the skill of even little kids to play basketball. And I would, when I was talking about this passage, um, 
I would say, guys, which is easier for me to say? I can dunk the basketball or for me to go out on the court and dunk it? Um, and, and they would all admit, well, yeah, it's much easier for you to say you can dunk the basketball. And they say, can you do it? <laughs> and I said, well, no, I really can't. But I can say I can. I can say it. I, 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 I can say it in such a way it would be so convincing. But the reality is it only, come, it, it only becomes truth when I can do it. Right? Um, belief plus reality equals truth. Right? You, you can believe it, but what's the reality? Right? That's going to equal the truth. So I would, I would uh, often put this out there, and they'd say, and of course, the next time we got in the basketball court, they'd be like, can you dunk? Can you dunk? Can you dunk? Go, go, do it, do it, do it. I'm like, I can't dunk, guys. I can't. And like, I can barely touch the net anymore. Right? Um, and so... Um, you know, but, but hopefully it hits the point, right? It's easy to say something. It's much harder to prove it. And it's, in dunking a basketball, I might get to a point where I could do it at least maybe off a trampoline. All right? I might be able to do that. Or you lower the basketball, hoop it low enough, I can do it. But this bar is pretty high, right, that Jesus is setting. This isn't like give me a trampoline or lower the basket. This is like only God can do this. This is something that clearly has got to be a God thing because no one has a par- the, the power simply to tell a paralytic man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Right? I don't care how many vitamins you give the guy. It's not going to happen. Right? And we might have some amazing things we can do medically, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking an instantaneous change. And so, again, this has, this has got to be something only God can do. But that you may know, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has a power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. That's a bold statement to make if you can't do it. Because that is going to either make it or break it. It's either going to be, you are who you claim you are, or you're a fraud. Of course, Jesus isn't a fraud. And so we see then verse 12, and Mark likes to use this word immediately. But immediately he rose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw anything like this. You bet you haven't. Right? This is, this is something that only God can do, right? And they went, and I, I love the response of the people. They were both amazed, and they were glorifying God, right? Here Jesus proves who he was with the power, with the authority to not only forgive sins, but to tell this man, rise up and walk. That's evidence. That's proof. Right? And, and the people are, have a choice now to make, don't they? They're like, all right, this guy's either the real deal, or I'm still going to need more evidence. I'm still not going to choose to believe. And I don't know. I mean, and thankfully, God, by his grace, has saved me. But I don't know how you can look at something like that and go, nah, he's fraud. That's not God. 
But we know even at the tomb of Lazarus, there were those who didn't believe. <laughs> what more do you want? But I, I love, too, that the very end of this, that it says that they went out and they were glorifying God. So Jesus shows unexpected kindness. He, he uses a teachable moment, and then he gives the glory where it belongs to God. I love that response, and that is the appropriate response to when God works in our lives to give glory to him. Um, I don't know if everybody in the room did that, uh, if some of, some of them did that only through lip service or if um, it was heartfelt. Don't know for sure, uh, but it is the right response. The ones who all obviously were blessed by that event were those who glorified God and it was real. They chose to trust and believe in Jesus in that day. One thing that kind of strikes me is, is I, I, I mentioned in the beginning about this idea of have you ever been in a place where um, you had to exercise this faith? And maybe when you exercise that faith and you, you stepped out in faith and you, you, you trusted God, whether that meant you just had to trust him uh, more of a, as an internal thing or if it meant stepping out and doing something that you were uncertain about and God blessed you. And maybe that blessing didn't necessarily come as you were expecting. For this man, the first thing that he received, I don't think is what he expected. Um, and I think oftentimes that is the case with us. See, we have defined in our, our minds the need. We come to God saying, God, here's what I need. And God says, well, I understand what you think you need. But let me tell you what you actually need. And for this man, the first thing he needed was to hear that his sins were forgiven. Secondly, he received the healing. But notice the healing was not just for his benefit. It was for the benefit of those that were there. He received the second blessing because of the others that were there as well. Be to create this teachable moment. You know, I heard it once said that if we have it, we need it. If we don't have it, guess what? You don't need it. Because God has promised to supply all of your needs. If we don't need it, or, we, or excuse me, if we don't have it, we don't need it. Right? Oftentimes we can kind of define in our, our own minds what we need. God knows. In faith, we need to trust him. And again, when you stepped out in faith, God supplied the need that you had. And it may have been very well been a spiritual need, not a physical one. For this man, it was both. I also am reminded, and as already mentioned, that oftentimes when we have a situation in our life, a need in our life, or a need that we deem that we have, oftentimes when God meets our need, it is not just for me. 
It is for others. He might use a need, a crisis, a difficulty, a whatever in my life, not just for my benefit, but for the benefits of those around me. And my response to him providing that need affects those around me. Such was the case here. Jesus used the situation of this man to not only meet his need, but to meet the needs of those around. And oftentimes we need to be thinking in those terms. We can, I think, oftentimes become very selfish and in our hour of need, just think about me. Rather than thinking about how this is affecting everyone else around me. When I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm thirsty, when I'm just frustrated for the day, how are my actions, the need that I have for just a little peace and rest, affecting the people around me? When I have a bad attitude, when I'm angry, whatever. How is that need affecting those around me? How am I praying that God is going to provide that need for me? I say, God, just, just, can you just stop the merry-go-round just for a minute? And God says, no, but I'm going to give you the grace that you need. I'm going to give you the wisdom that you need if you ask for it. I'm often reminded through this story that sometimes the need that I have is not the need that I think that I have, but the need that I have is the one that God will provide and the one that will oftentimes affect those around me for the glory of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for um, just your word. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you do provide for us. We thank you for how you give us exactly what we need, when we need it, how we need it. And, Lord, sometimes that can be a tough pill to swallow simply because we are very selfish in our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes. And, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to have a uh, deeper understanding of who you are, that we would come to you in faith, increase our faith, Lord, so that we can come to you knowing that you'll supply exactly what we need. We thank you, Lord, for the example of the paralytic man in this passage. We know that all that you do is for the glory of God and for our good. We thank you for that. Shall we stand? encourage you if there's any need that you have of course go to the Lord in prayer concerning it if there's need that you need to talk about encourage you to come talk to us We'd love to help in any way that we can encourage you to use this time afterwards to find a Sunday school class to go to where you can be further encouraged in God's word Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for your grace. Lord, we pray that we would in boldness come to you knowing that you love us. Help us come in humility, recognizing who you are and our need for you. In Jesus' name, amen.